and welcome to episode 80 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles, California. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Ben, how's it going? It's going well. I uh, just commuted in and I was listening to Donald Trump's news conference. Did you hear that? <laughs> no, I do not pay attention to such things, but I can't wait to hear because it it's got to be some laughs at least. I haven't been paying attention to him a lot lately because every time I do go to the news, you know, there's some story about Trump. And so I've just kind of checked out of that for a while since the election is over and everything. But I was driving in today and I didn't feel like listening to any of the books I'm listening to right now. So I just turned on the radio and uh, NPR was on and they're like, oh, Trump is about to start. And then Pence came out and introduced him. And that was somewhat awkward. But then uh, Trump came out and he started talking forever. And I guess, I don't know how news conferences are supposed to go, but I, I kind of assumed that, you know, the person would come out and say a few things and then take questions. But he just went on and on and on about how great everything is going to be and how great things are coming along. And then finally he took, uh, well, before he got into that, uh, before he got into taking questions, he said that, let me get the quote here exactly. I will be the greatest jobs. Uh, I will be the greatest jobs president God ever created. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it's coming from Trump, but he just has an amazing ability to have, like, no sense of uh, humility or hypocrisy or I don't know. It's just his 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 un filtered, unvarnished view of himself is completely crazy, you know? Yeah, he's uh, definitely a giant ego, for sure. I follow him on Twitter, you know, so like all okay. I really, mm -hmm. all I see is him blasting people that he hates, and which is everyone, and also defending himself against, you know, the attacks that are coming from all over the place. Sure. There's this whole um, news that came out yesterday about the golden showers and whatnot. Did you read this? Are we familiar with this? No, golden showers? So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't even – I only have read about it on Twitter, which means that I don't even know what the actual news story was. Okay. But Trump is immediately tweeting in all caps, fake news, fake news, you know. <laughs> um but apparently there's some story about him in a hotel paying prostitutes to pee on each other, something like that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he did. This is what he was talking about at the beginning of his uh, in his little monologue. Oh, he brought it up. Nice. Yeah, I didn't understand exactly that that was what he was referring to. But it does sound like it was fake news. I, I don't think the New York Times decided to report it because it was pretty questionable and Basically, a bunch of places didn't. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, so of course, then you know, in the world we live in today, when you have people like me, I mean, I intentionally don't watch the news <laughs> because it's so depressing. All yeah. I really want is all I really want is just entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so you know, there's just five thousand different pee jokes all over Twitter yesterday. Is all I was seeing from the <laughs> president-elect of the United States. Oh, uh, so I did see a little bit of Obama's farewell speech, which I'm guessing you did not. No, I mean I saw some tweets and some and some like quotes from it and stuff. It seemed like it was pretty classy. He's a pretty classy dude, huh? He's a pretty classy guy. And he um, you know, he's he's thoughtful. 
he's obviously smart um, and he thinks through what he's he's saying and uh, obviously he has his own biases but I think he makes a very compelling argument that basically our social media culture is leading to the stratification this is not surprising this is not news but the stratification of ideas because everyone is just going to their custom tailor-made source of news or friendship or social media right. whatever finding exactly what they want to hear their assumptions are never challenged i mean he was speaking to everyone i think including himself but just this idea of that we need to you know think about what we're assuming, which is very relevant to the LSAT since so many times it uh, writes questions that tap into assumptions that I think people generally take for granted and thus don't realize uh, that the argument is making that assumption. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the argument is basically just if everybody's only listening to their own team, then nobody's going to, it's just all we do is just kind of reinforce our own preconceived notions is that kind of what it is we're That's just exactly never going right. to hear the other side of the story never going to hear the other side of the story if you don't in, in, engage with uh, other viewpoints then your assumptions that you're making in a lot of cases don't even realize that you're making will never be challenged and so then you'll never be able to question them and say well hmm you know maybe that is wrong and thus get closer to the truth uh, it actually reminded me of a book i read a year ago called Super Forecasting, uh, or Super Forecasters, I can't remember. But in that book, it talked about uh, a research project that the um, the intelligence community had done over a couple years in trying to find people who are really good at forecasting future events and seeing if that's just, you know, dumb luck or and people get lucky and then get, you know, praised for it, but it was just luck. Or if there's a systematic way, you can say, hey, look, this person really does have a tendency to predict future events. And they did find that there are super forecasters out there. And one thing that those super forecasters do is that they deliberately seek out uh, contrary information. So if they think X will happen, they go try and find people who think X won't happen and analyze their arguments. doesn't necessarily mean that they'll agree with them, but they're really desperately trying to find counter viewpoints so that they can question their own assumptions and refine the accuracy of their predictions. Wow. I mean, that sounds a lot like just the scientific method generally, right? I think so. The yeah. way science works is we make hypotheses about the way we think the world works, and then we try our best to disprove those hypotheses. If we can't yeah. disprove those hypotheses, then we start to operate as if they are actually true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. It, of course, yeah, it has a lot of LSAT kind of ramifications or tie-ins. One thing that we're always teaching people on logical reasoning is just to try to think about the other side, right? Think about mm -hmm. what, hey, it doesn't matter if this is your team or the other team. We need to know both sides of the argument. Yeah. I had a new class that started last night here at uh, Fox LSAT World Headquarters in mm. Marina del Rey. And, um, which I'm super excited about the new, the new place here in LA is just awesome. I've got room for, you know, a small class, only like 10 or 12 people here in, in my place in LA, but it's very comfortable. And, uh, the students come to me now, which is great. Uh, it's, I've never done it before. I've always kind of fantasized about it, but the students just come show up. I teach, they leave, you know, I go crack a beer and that's it. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but I, 
I teach, of course, you know, sufficient and necessary on the first night of class. And I always try to come up with a uh, premise on the, on the fly that we can use to talk about the sufficient and the necessary conditions. And I, so I used, if you're Donald Trump, then you are an ass. That was my, that was my choice of premises last night. Yeah, I bet you were booed out of the room, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These super conservative kids that I have here in Los Angeles, they hated that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's going to be an exciting four slash eight years of uh, nonstop comedy coming from the White House. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will be interested to see what happens. So. Yeah. Today on the show, we are going to take a bunch of listener questions. Uh, I guess we should probably apologize for taking such a long break. Um, we kind of intentionally took a break for the holidays, and then we unintentionally added an extra week onto the break because I turned out to be traveling and kind of I was snowed in at my buddy's place in Tahoe, and so we had a three-week hiatus. Um, we're going to be back to regular schedule, so we're sorry about that. Today, we have a whole bunch of listener questions, including some, Ben, you put this on the agenda, some questions uh, from a 30-something applicant who maybe was asking some specific questions about being a little bit older. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, first email. Yep. We're going to get through these listener questions, and then if we have time today, we will also do uh, a question or two from the June 2007 Logical Reasoning. Hey, while we're uh, on the topic of the June 2007 logical reasoning, we're in the um, exploratory phases of working on an audio book, Ben and I are, and uh, that'll be uh, largely made up of clips from the podcast, including all these June 2007 logical reasoning explanations. But the reason why I mentioned it on the show is to see if anybody out there has any uh, experience with audiobooks or, you know, if you know really anything about audiobook production we would love to hear from you or anything that you might know about the audiobook business. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, that would be <laughs> great for you to email us. No, we have a lot of celebrity listeners. So, I had a brush with a friend of greatness the other day because I went on a hike with a dude who works at SpaceX. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And he was like telling me, you know, just about Elon Musk. I was like, whoa, <laughs> nice. Yeah, impressive. He said Elon Musk is every bit as impressive as you might think he is. Huh. Yeah, I read um, his biography by Ashley Vance. Okay. And that was when I first like really got introduced to Musk, and I was, I was thoroughly blown away. I mean, he definitely has his weaknesses, but you, after reading that book, I was like, holy cow, this guy is pretty incredible. And... I got the sense that she went into the project as a kind of an outsider who just wanted to sort of dethrone, if you will, this charlatan, this sort of wannabe Steve Jobs, and she finished the project pretty enamored. So Wow, that's right back to the thing I was saying earlier about the scientific method, huh? She like went in yeah. there trying to debunk him and could not. That's a, like the most compelling argument you could make in favor of Elon Musk. Yeah. I also, you know, whenever I think about the likes of Musk and I don't know, I guess Richard Branson and other folks who are making things happen in the world, it, that always does make me feel a little bit more optimistic about the future of, 
of the world because, mm-hmm. you know, like who really has more power, Donald Trump or Elon Musk? I, I don't know. I, I think you can yeah. make a pretty good argument that, that Musk is the one who's actually getting things done and that he's, he's the one who's truly in charge. He's not stupid enough to run for president, mm-hmm. but he's the one who's actually running the show. So. Yeah, well, if he can get us to Mars, no one will stop talking about that. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about how, you know, what the, what the goal is of me getting to Mars, and I was thinking that really the only way I would ever be able to get there is if they needed an LSAT teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it's I thought, definitely a, a top priority. Yeah, but then your application would probably beat out my application, Ben, so I guess I'm just never going to Mars. Oh, you're, you're too humble, too kind. <laughs> Should we? What do you think? You want to dive into these? Uh, dive into these emails? Yeah, let's do it. You want to read? You want me to read? Sure, I can read it. So, uh, dear thinking LSAT hosts, I can't even say our own podcast <laughs> name. <laughs> dear thinking LSAT hosts, please don't use my name on the air. Oops. Okay, good. Yeah. By the way. Right, listeners, please let us know. I mean, if you don't want us to use your name, you got to tell us. So thanks for that. Yeah, this is perfect, actually, right up front. Because yeah. sometimes they tell us at the end, it's like, oh, shoot. Might want to put it at the front and the end. <laughs> yeah. She says, I'm an older female applicant, and I'm wondering if you've covered this issue in any of your prior podcasts. Uh, I don't know. Don't know yet. We're work. We're waiting. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe. The question is about how advisable is it to pursue career change in your 30s? I was looking at the UC Berkeley entering class profile, and less than 5% of applicants are 30 years or older. Okay. Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I'm just worried. You know, if this was an LSAT question, um, I would expect that she's going to cite that uh, statistic. And then she's going to try to infer some causal relationship. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, so if she if she's like, well, you know, this, this means that I have less of a chance or something like that, I would have to say, um, yeah, 5% of the applicants are 30 years or older because many people 30 years or older have already found, you know, their career or they went to law school previously or they have decided to settle for whatever shitty job they have right now or, you know, whatever. They've got kids and they're not going mm-hmm. to law school anymore. Yeah, I mean, I totally believe that less than 5% of the applicants are 30 or older, but um, I don't think that says anything about your chances of getting into law school. Yeah, and if she's just wondering whether she should go or not, that really is going to depend on her and whether she's really set on pursuing a law career. If she is, I don't care if you're 40, you're still going to live for a really long time after that. So go do it. If you're not, though, don't. And that it doesn't matter whether you're 40 or 20 or, I guess, 15, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to do law, then you should go do it. If you don't, then you can keep listening to the podcast. But I would strongly suggest you stop pursuing this, this endeavor. Yeah, I think the question is, you know, can you sleep at night without being a lawyer? And if you can't, then you should go. I don't really think age is that much of a factor, period. Yeah. She has some more specific questions here, I suppose. Sure. Some issues you could speak to, she says, are what recommendations to use when you have no academic contacts? Uh, well, 
I mean, the obvious one would be professional references. Um, yeah. You know, you've been doing something for the last 10 years. Now, if that's only having kids and being married and going to daycare and whatnot, then, you know, I, you, you're, you could be in a tough spot, in which case you might want to go back and rekindle the flame with some of those old academic contacts. Yeah. Um, but if you've had a job or two, I think it's totally appropriate that you would have only professional contacts at that point. Make sure it's not just some coworker, you know, it can't be surely from the break room that you have donuts with. It's got to be your boss. She could also be called Shirley, but you know, yeah, it's got to be your, it's got to be your boss (laughs) (laughs) or else, you know, and, and I would say same thing as usual, right? Like don't try to go way up the ladder searching for an uh, impressive sounding title. Yeah. You don't need the CEO of your company. If the CEO doesn't know who you are or barely knows who you are, that would be, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a bad recommendation. Yeah. I think you want your immediate supervisor. Yeah. Yeah. The closer they are, the more familiar I with what you do, the better. I was going to say, if you do have to go back to your academic contacts... I get the sense that when they don't know you very well or they don't remember you very well, they're going to ask for your personal statement. So I think you might have to have that ready. Yeah. Um, you know, Anne does sort of caution against that because she doesn't want your application to come out sounding so one note. Mm, interesting. You're okay. going you're gonna to influence the people when they write your letter. They're yeah. going to be influenced by the word, even just the, the vocabulary you used in your personal statement. And if they start, you know, kind of subconsciously even ripping off your the lines from your personal statement, it could all come off sounding pretty bland. So Anne, Anne as a, I think she says, like, as a general rule, you wouldn't intentionally give the personal statement to someone who's writing a letter. Mm-hmm. But if they ask for it, and I mean, let's be honest, these letters, are, they're just not that important of a part of your application. That's right. It's it's like a hoop you have to jump through. And they're just, you know, they're seeing how lawyerly you are. They're going to give you a bunch of obstacles and they're going to make you get over those obstacles. Sure. It's a very, very necessary condition, but hardly anywhere near sufficient. Right. These letters could easily keep you out if you have a, a bad letter or, you know, you get a letter from your mom or any other error of judgment. <laughs> if you don't do it. You know, that's there. I always say the letters are there to just make sure you're not like a crazy person. Has anyone ever asked you to write a letter of recommendation? Yeah, I always say yeah. no. I, yeah. It just doesn't seem appropriate to me. And in fact, I would worry that the committees would think that it's a, an error of judgment that someone is asking their LSAT teacher to write a yeah. letter. Yeah. Well, the question also becomes why? Why can't you find anyone else? Yeah. All right, so she's also wondering if we could speak to the competitiveness after entering law school when your classmates are 10 or more years younger and fresher. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I I don't know why that always makes me laugh. I mean, I guess because I'm 40, you know, 41, and I work with 20-somethings all the time. But... It just, I don't know why folks who are 30 years old think that they've like lost a step cognitively. That doesn't make any sense to me. What do you think? Okay, I think there actually is some merit to that. Because if you don't exercise your brain, I think it, it does sort of 
slow down. And when you start doing this stuff again, you're like, oh, this is tough. But the reality is you have so many things going in your favor, too. Uh, as you get older, it's been shown that you generally have more self-control. Um, you tend to be more forward-thinking. This is just something that happens as people get older. So you're going to go to class and maybe you have to, quote, get back into studying and learning because you're not actively learning things all the time like you were when you were in undergrad. But you also have tools that your younger classmates will not have, and you should leverage them. And you could even leverage them before you go to law school by starting to try learning things again. And um, I think that can then make you come back into speed. Yeah, I guess it depends what you've been doing for the last 10 years. I mean, if you've, if you've had, if you've been taking care of children for 10 years straight and you've been um, watching the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, then yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you have slowed down a bit, but. Or, or you have work that's just not that challenging. Yeah. Some jobs are very repetitive and they don't require you to sort of. Screwing the cap on the toothpaste at the toothpaste factory. (laughs) Yeah, that's one example. (laughs) I mean, that probably doesn't really exercise your brain that much. But I, I don't know. I think people might be overestimating how hard college actually is and how much, you know, how much, how rigorous the work actually is that people are doing in school. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think there is something to this. I, I think that um, studies have talked about, like, actively learning things that are challenging. I mean, you have people who go to college and they take easier classes, those people are going to come out of college and they're not going to be as good at learning new, harder stuff as someone who took really challenging classes. So you now maybe there's a reason that they didn't take as many challenging classes. But I think the more you push yourself academically, you also get better at the process of learning, learning things that are hard and knowing how to deal with something that you don't understand. Yeah. I I think the maturity of being a little bit older is going to probably at least compensate for whatever slacking has happened in your brain over the past 10 years. I mean, I, I just yeah. remember when I was in law school, I, you know, I, I've told the story before, but I just always remember the kids that were right out of undergrad coming in and like complaining about how hard law school was, you know, when they're showing up for their first class at, at 11.50 a.m., And they've got flip-flops and a hoodie sweatshirt and a cup of coffee. And they're, like, complaining about how rough their life is. It's clear they just got out of bed. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. You know, if you've had a job for the last 10 years, you're used to cracking the whip on yourself, Mm -hmm. getting up Mm -hmm. early, commuting. I don't know. I think some of the people who were a little bit older who were going back to law school were were sort of, like, realizing how luxurious it really was. You know, this guy, Michael Friedman, who's a U.S. attorney now in Los Angeles, he left his books on campus and and turned law school into a 40 hour a week job. And he was like, it was no sweat for this dude. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he was comparing it to his previous jobs that he had had. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I can actually do this job in 40 hours a week. No problem. I can kick ass at this job in 40 hours a week. No problem. Yeah. Wait, so who is this guy like became an attorney later in life or something? Or Yeah, I mean, I think he was maybe like, I, I don't I actually don't even remember. Maybe he was like late 20s or, or something like that. I think he was yeah. you know, almost my age or something when we were in Hastings. We kind of hit it off because we were a little, little, little older maybe than the, than the rest of the gang. But yeah, he, he just totally destroyed law school 
and he was like Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of a guy. Hmm. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, the kids are like taking their books home and they're, they're, they're not doing anything in the afternoon. They're playing video games or they're at hot happy hour. <laughs> and then, then at 10, 10 or 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, like now they're studying, you know, and now it's like, Oh, fuck my life. Oh, this is so tough. Oh boy. You know, law school. Wow. And it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, <laughs> you didn't really, you, you weren't really working all, all day, were you? Come on, let's be honest. No, I think those are good points. And that's also going to depend a lot on where she ends up going, right? So different schools have different levels of competitiveness, I guess. The last thing is life factors, or what I like to call, quote, children, house, law school, pick two. Currently, I have none of the above. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, so, sorry to interrupt, but you just made me think she did mention specifically UC Berkeley. I don't think UC Berkeley law even has grades. So, you know, then why does it even matter? Right. Like the Oh, interesting. So is that is that the situation? Is you either get a pass or a fail or something else, right? Yeah, there might be some sort of like high pass and pass yeah. going on, but I think that's just only like it matters. It really only matters at the extremes. I think I don't know. Somebody can tell us. Well, I think I remember actually talking to someone about this, and they they approach their courses in this way. They they did the bare minimum for several classes. They did just enough to right. pass because all you have to do is pass, right? And then for some of the classes, because they had extra time, they uh, got a high pass. So then their grades were pass, 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 plus a few high passes, where if you try to do well in everything, you just get a pass in everything. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I just also think the higher ranked law school you go to, the less grades matter, period. So, sure. you know, it's going to be less competitive, the better school you get into. And I don't think being older hurts your applications chances well, at wait, all. Wait, 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 hold on. Less competitive. I guess it depends on where they have grades, right? Because if they do, then it could be very competitive. Well, You're competing against other people who are like taking Red Bull every day. And I guess I'm talking about at the higher, the high, the highest of the high. Like if we're talking yeah. about some top 14 schools, they're just not even going to have grades at all, right? Like Stanford's just like no grades, period. Really? So, I, didn't I think know that. so. I think so. Yeah, I think it's just like pass. It doesn't matter. Like if you graduate from there, you're gonna be you're gonna get any job you want anyway. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Somebody else can. We we're, we don't deal in the realm of facts around here, Ben. We just make things up and let our <laughs> listeners correct us. And if anyone calls us out on it, we'll just call them despicable. Just I'm just terrible, yeah. And then I'm gonna tweet thing. fake news, fake news <laughs> a thousand times. <laughs> we're in the uh, post truth era now. Dude, this is, this is very calming. It's very relaxing. I know. It's, it's an awesome way to be. Things. I like it. What do you think about this? She says, uh, you know, one of their other factors, she says, life factors, or what I like to call, quote, children slash house slash law school, pick two. Currently, I have none of the above. <laughs> what do we think about that? I don't know what to say. I mean, the fact that she doesn't have any of them makes it all the easier to go to law school, I think. I just want to know what she's been doing with her life. <clears throat> just kidding. That was fucked up. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> that was just a joke. Um, no. Yeah. So wait, do you really, what do you think about this proposition that you have to pick two of children, house and law school? What do you think about that? I'm not sure I actually understand this comment. Do you, what do you think she's trying to say? You have to choose two? You, you have to have two of those or you can't? I think she's, yeah, I think she's saying that you can't have all three. Now, Ben, you have all three. 
Ooh, I'm living the good life. You are living the good life. I mean, you know, I so I I picked one out of the three, and I wish I would have picked zero. You know, I don't have children, don't want children. I don't have a house. I don't particularly want to have a house either because I like the flexibility of being able to move around. I really wish I wouldn't have gone to law school because that was a huge waste of money. Mm, yeah. I think you kind of feel this feel the same way about law school, at least. Although, you know, things have worked out well for you. Yeah, yeah. So, wait, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I, I think what she's saying is that you have to do, there is some sort of a trade-off. Children are expensive. House is expensive. Law school is expensive. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, because, yeah, if you go $160,000 in debt from law school, that is going to make it tougher for you to have a house, to buy yeah. a house. Children, eh, you can always just have a kid and work it out, right? I mean, that's what everybody does. Yeah, they do work it out. Although I read an article once that said each child costs on average $250,000 before the age of 18. Jesus. Yeah, so now, uh, I mean, sure, that's going to vary a lot depending on where you live and what you do with your children and how much money you decide to invest in them. But uh, whenever they don't want to do jobs, I'm always like, well, do you want to start paying your portion of the 250 Because <laughs> I, as far as I can remember, you haven't contributed anything yet. So... Uh, anyway, sorry, it's a little tangent there, but yeah, but you're not going to die alone, Ben. They're going to they're going to be there on your deathbed. So that's that's really why people have kids, right? Well, I don't know if there's necessarily a lot of thought process into having kids. Sometimes they just come, you know. Oh. Uh... Right. I mean, sure. Yeah, I'm glad I have kids, but it's it's not like nature has set up a good process for deliberating about this. It kind of says it tries to sell you some goods, and then you know. You don't necessarily realize the full implications of those kids until, <laughs> until they're screaming at three a.m. <laughs> yeah, kids are great. Kids are great. They're uh, they're a good learning experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't say, man. You don't that's have a, any. That was a great sales pitch for kids. Yeah, you have not changed my mind about whether I want to have children. <laughs> hey, how about this? How about this? In in a couple weeks after February LSAT, you'll get a knock at the door. And you'll have four four little boys who say, "Hey, we need a place to stay. We hear your your uncle Nathan, Uncle Nate. Is that are we in the right place?" I, you know what, your kids are so well behaved that I would be perfectly fine with that if they showed up. I will. I warn you. I, how old are they? Uh, they are. Let's see here. Four to uh, twelve. Yeah, I mean the twelve year old's getting a beer as soon as he walks in, <laughs> <laughs> and then we're all playing video games. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Oh, they would love that. Oh, yeah. they would love that. Yeah. Cool. I'll probably show them some movies they shouldn't watch too. But like, you know, some like, um, well, the twelve-year-old Deadpool, almost Deadpool for the twelve-year-old. Oh a yeah, a little they... bit violent, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we Tara and I saw that, and uh, so then it pops up on our like you know in our Amazon Prime, and the oldest one's always like, "Hey, can we watch Deadpool?" And then he's like, "Ha ha ha ha," because he knows he can't. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's not. I don't know about that for a twelve-year-old, huh? Deadpool's a little bit. No, no, that was that. Even for us, we were watching like, okay, oh my gosh, more blood. Here we go. Anyways, cool. Yeah, that's a great movie, by the way. I it is. Yeah, very funny. Yeah, I highly recommend Deadpool if anybody hasn't seen it. Okay, what do you think? We did. Did we do well enough there for uh, anonymous thirty something? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. You want to read the next one? Uh, sure. So this is to you. Uh, oh, so I guess I'll read it. Hi, Nathan. My name is also Nathan. Currently studying for the LSAT in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. 
thanks for the podcast. Here's some questions. First test was in the low 140s with no experience. After reading the Power Score, Logical Reasoning, and Logic Games books and doing four more practice tests, I'm up to a range of 153 to 158. My biggest improvement has been in Logic Games, where my score has gone up by about 10. Uh, okay, good. That's, there's no surprise there. Logical Reasoning has surprisingly become my greatest weakness, uh, getting around 15 to 18 right in Logical Reasoning and more on the other sections. With logical reasoning, I often write in my second choice as well as first for an answer, and 90% of the time my second choice is correct if my first choice is not. Okay, so Nathan is just making a note of his two favorite choices, and he's saying that if his first choice is not correct, 90% of the time his second choice is correct, is there anything you can maybe suggest at this point? Well, hold on. First of all, that 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 number is useless. Ooh. Why? Well, we don't know what percentage of the time his first choice is correct and his right. second choice is correct. We just know that when the first choice is not right, the second choice is correct 90% of the time, which is really unsurprising because most people do get it down to the two most tempting answers. Yeah, if you can narrow it down to two, that indicates that you're on the right track, um, and as long as one of those is the correct answer, of course. Don't let selection bias uh, skew your perspective here. You know, a lot of times people will review and they'll say, oh, well, yeah, I, I narrowed it down to two and I always pick the wrong one. Mm. And that's not true because you're only reviewing your mistakes or you're for sure paying more attention to your mistakes. That's right. And so, yeah, of course, a lot of times you're going to have narrowed it down and, and the one you didn't pick when you look at when you're looking at your mistakes, the one you didn't pick is going to be the correct answer frequently. Yeah, what he's not doing is going back to the answers he got right and saying, ooh, I was debating between these two, and I chose the right one right. after all. And the same thing happens with people who change their answers. A lot of times people will flag the ones that they have changed. Like, like yeah. oh, I went back to this one and I changed it, and I changed it to the wrong answer. Yeah. I always do that. Um, well, no, because you're not reviewing the ones where you went back and changed it and got it right. Yeah. So just just don't don't worry about that. I don't think this is anything to worry about. I mean, it sounds to me like Nathan is making progress. If you're narrowing it down to two and one of them is the right answer, that's good. You're getting closer. Of course, you need to review those mistakes and figure out why the right answer was right and why the wrong answer was wrong. But I don't think you need to like start panicking about the second choice thing. Yeah. One thing here I can say is that 90% of the test is debating between those two answers. If not 100%, right? I mean, there's got to be 10% for something else. But 90% of what we're dealing with here is deciding why this answer is better than that second most tempting answer. Yeah, I mean, there's usually three pretty shitty answer choices, right? Mm -hmm. Either irrelevant or just outright wrong. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a sign. It's like that thing about, you know, if you sit down at the poker table and, and you can't tell who the sucker is, then the sucker is you. Yeah. Um, if you look at an LSAT question and you can't tell which are the really bad answers, then your face is the bad answer. No, I don't know. You're just like, that's the problem is <laughs> your you face. don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you, I'm saying, you know, you, you don't, 
you just don't know what you're doing at that point. Yeah. If you can't at least tell me, hey, these are the horrible answers. And it's not even the, it's not even the case that there are usually two good answers. But but there will be frequently, you know, another answer that you could make a case for. And but there's there should be three answers, I think, for every question. There should be three answers that are really pretty bad. Yeah. So um, anyway, it sounds like Nathan is on the right track. One more thing here, though, that I think is important. That is, um, if if Nathan is getting down to these two answers and he knows it, but he's not 100% sure about the answer that he chose, then I would strongly suggest just putting a little question mark next to that question, finishing the section, and then do not grade until you go back and think about that question a little bit more. Push yourself to really commit. Say, yeah, I actually did cho choose the right answer in the time frame. At least I think I did based on my reevaluation of the question. Or, no, actually, I think I got it wrong. Unfortunately, I do now think it was my second choice, at least at the time. Now I think the second choice is actually correct. And then look up the right answer. It's, it's so, I mean, we say it so frequently on this show, but I think the reason it doesn't get implemented a lot of times is because... When you're done with a section, there's a little bit of willpower that's gone, right? You've you've exerted that yeah. willpower to take the section. You're kind of like, oh, right, okay, let's let's just see what happened, and you don't want to like get into thinking hard again and thinking, especially about the ones that you were debating. But that that time spent trying to decide whether you did make the right choice or you actually made the wrong choice is really what's pushing your LSAT progress along. So if you kind of short circuit that and go look up the right answer, uh, which you do have to do eventually, uh, but if you do that too soon, then you're just going to have to drag this whole process out longer because you're not forcing yourself to sort of commit and, uh, deconstruct that reasoning before you see that you got it right, especially if you were wrong, but especially if you get it right, uh, you're not going to remember the debate you had in your head. You're just going to move on. And I know I, I just say that so much, but I think you got to do some things. You got to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to finish this section. And if I am exhausted right now, and I don't want to go back to the questions I was debating, then walk away, go eat or do something fun, like watch a show or something and then come back and start looking at those questions again with renewed energy before you look up the correct answer. I think it's just so incredibly valuable because of that like it messes with your mind as soon as you know the right answer. I mean I just people look at the right answer and they're like oh that makes sense and it it doesn't make sense but they honestly believe it does and that's their problem. Yeah, I'm always a little bit disappointed by the, you know, the, the rationales that students will give when I, when, when they, they've gotten a, an answer right, and then they try to explain why. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm glad you got the right answer, but very, very frequently people are completely off base about why that is the right answer. Yeah. You know, the, or at the very least, they're just not stating it very clearly. Yeah. So this is where having a study partner can help a lot. You know, debating questions back and forth can help a lot. I will in class, sometimes I will give a time section and then I'll divide them into groups and I'll 
prohibit them from looking at the answer key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll have them then talk through like, okay, I want you to get to, you know, in your groups of two or three, I want you to get to consensus about what the right answer is on these first 10 or on the first 15 or whatever. Yeah. And talk about them and see if you guys can agree that this is the right answer and make sure that it's the right answer. And I think the, there's really a lot of value that comes from the moments when they pick two different answers and then they have to sort of talk it back and forth a little bit. Sure. Even if they're wrong, because I do that as well, even if they're wrong, sometimes the group is like, oh, well, we thought it was D and here's why. When I started saying, well, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Do you see how D says this and C says that? They're invested in their explanation. They're invested in what they you know, talked about and what they thought about. And so then they take that lesson away much more than if they had just kind of been like, hmm, oh, yeah, okay, that's an interesting point. And then it's in one ear and out the other. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nathan also gives a bunch of stats and information about his particular candidacy. I'm not sure any of that is that relevant. The one one thing I wanted to point out, he, he says he started studying December 29th for the February 4th LSAT and devoting three to five hours a day to studying. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I guess, is he working? Um, I mean, if you have the time to do that, great. It sounds a little exhausting, but I guess if he doesn't have a job or something, then... What do you just think about the time frame? December 20th, started on December 29th for the fe- February 4th LSAT. Uh, yeah, that's that's basically a month. Yeah. Yeah, six weeks there, five, six weeks. Um, wouldn't be enough for most people to mm-hmm. reach their true potential. Yeah. Right. So the one thing I would caution Nathan against is that, you know, he's <clears throat> he's got solid grades, seems like an interesting candidate, but, you know, it, it, I think it could be a little bit tragic if he makes it from one, the low 140s, you know, makes it into like almost 160, but doesn't crack 160 and then just decides, ah, well, you know, that's my ability. Yeah. Um, you might be selling yourself a little bit short there because sometimes breakthroughs do happen in the second month or the third month or, or even beyond. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would consider, you know, especially if your practice tests indicate that you might be capable of higher, I, I would say keep grinding it out because, you know, it is, it's just your entire future mm-hmm. that's on the line here. And so I, I don't know, I'm consistently amazed at how people try to rush this process instead of, you know, taking their time and making sure they get the best score they can really get. Yeah. Uh, February is a particularly interesting time because I think a lot of people are trying to get in that year, but it's like all the more reason to wait. If you, if you need a little more time, take it in June and now you're applying before everyone instead of after everyone. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not ready, by the way, for the February 4th LSAT, um, you know, you, you, you do have the option to withdraw up to the day before the test and that withdrawal does not count as one of your three attempts. If you take the test and you cancel, that does count as one of your three attempts that you're allowed in any two-year period. And uh, that's a big difference. So make sure you are honest with yourself and withdraw. I'm, I'm just still amazed how many people talk about canceling. I was lecturing a girl last night in class about, you know, the, that was her plan. It was just, oh, well, I can just take it and cancel. She had, by the way, already taken it once previously. Ooh, yeah. You know, and she's like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm registered for February and, and I, I, I don't want to lose the money for the registration fee. So yeah. I'm just going to take it. And then if I don't, if it doesn't go well, I can always cancel. Right. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's also strike two. Yep. 
you know, you whiffed on the first attempt. Now you're going to cancel your second attempt. And now you've got, and now it's, everything's riding on this one more third attempt, which is, you know, recipe for panic attack. Well, it's, it's so challenging because your, your, your guess as to how well the test went is not much different before you take the test and after you take the test. But you have to make that assessment before you get your score back. So you might as right. well make it before you even take the test. Yeah, I mean, I guess people can tell if they completely crashed and burned. But if crashing and burning is even a, a possibility, mm-hmm. I don't think you should be taking the test. Yeah, it's only if that's a, a surprise. Like for some reason, right. the, the anxiety overcomes you in yeah. a way you didn't expect. But yeah, that's the exception, not the rule. Right. I mean, I think cancellation is there if there is a legit emergency. You know, like you shit your pants during the test. Oh, I hope that would never happen. I'm sure it has. <laughs> what? I can't even imagine. <laughs> Come on, it has to have happened with all of the thousands of people. Sure, just you know, like anything has to have and happened. And all the spicy food out people. there in the world. Delicious <laughs> spicy, spicy food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone has shit their pants during the LSAT. Please, if you did, please write us. Please write us, yes. We will not use your name unless you really want us to. But, um, no, I mean, that's that's what, you know, when I think of canceling, it's like, it's an, it's something like that where it was just really not foreseen and, you know, something bad happened and you were not really even able to complete the test or... yeah. You know, something something really weird and tragic happened. Then, okay, yeah. Then you know, you, maybe you don't want to put that score on record, so you just go ahead and cancel. But if it's like you're not really prepared for the test, and you take the test, and now you realize it's not going very well, that's just you're just wasting one of your attempts there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like stepping to the plate with your shoes untied. You know, like you just you shouldn't have been up there in the first place. Yeah, you should have been back in the dugout, you know, getting yourself ready. I hate it that people use cancellation as a oh, it's like a free attempt, you know. There's nothing, nothing to lose here. Yeah. Well, there there is because many of your competitors are taking it three times and they're fully prepared on each of the three attempts. You know, people take it once and get a pretty solid score, but they're like, hey, you know what? I actually think I can do better, and they take it again and they get a point higher, and then they're like, well, okay, good, you know, I'm on the right. but I still feel, you know, I look at my practice test scores and it still seems like I could probably get five points higher. And now they take it a third time and they do get five points higher. Mm-hmm. And, and, and meanwhile, you, you know, took it once unprepared, got a shitty score, took it again unprepared and canceled. And now it's basically you get one attempt versus their three. Which, by the way, only increases the anxiety because it's like it's do or die. It's now or never. And yeah. you've made a big... Big deal out of, of potentially something that could have been nothing. Yeah, now you might shit your pants just from <laughs> the stress of the whole thing. <laughs> At least you could write into the show. <laughs> okay, uh, so there we go. Uh, thanks for writing into the show, Nathan, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Hope you're staying warm up there. Oh, hey, I just realized, yeah. sorry to keep going back to these, but he said he, he's trying to get into a good Canadian school. We yeah. just talked to uh, Graham Blake. He's obviously the the go-to person for ca- Canada-related questions. But yes. I seem to remember when we first interviewed him back in like the teens or whatever episode that was, 
he said that Canadian schools don't consider the LSAT as much as GPA. So I don't know how much that will affect Nathan, but something to consider if, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, yeah, something to consider. I mean, I do think that like the very top Canadian schools are still pretty competitive, though, to get into. So, you know, even if they take GPA, weight GPA more heavily than LSAT, I bet probably still need a pretty damn good LSAT score to get into those schools. But yeah, that, that is a good point. And you could reach out to Graham if you have any questions about Canada specifically. Um, his website is lsathacks.com. Next one? Yeah. So this says, thank you, Nathan and Ben, for creating Thinking LSAT. I like to listen to the podcast while I'm driving because it makes trips go quicker. Ooh, does he actually go faster? And I feel like I'm not wasting time since I'm always learning new things from the podcast. Hey, you know how I've been making my predictions about the self-driving cars and how that's going to happen imminently? And by the way, that's absolutely correct. I mean, that's like totally happening. I read a headline the other day about Las Vegas uh, is going to roll out self-driving shuttles, like airport hmm. hotel shuttles. That's, that's like happening. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day. Do you think that it's going to hurt the market for podcasts, for audio podcasts? Because I think so many people listen to podcasts while they're driving. Well, it might affect podcasts generally, but probably not ours. Oh, really? Because ours is the best one? or I mean, the way I like to think about it is that we we are the greatest podcast host that God ever created. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that well, he's trotting out God like that. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, but then again, every U.S. politician trots out God, you know? True, but not in the way that he does. He, like, puts, he's like, God created me <laughs> to be the best. That's true. <laughs> well, so, yeah, that's a good point. Because the nice thing about having a self-driving car, which uh, I do think is inevitable as well, and very soon is that you can then do whatever you want. So you don't have to just do listening things. You could do email, you could do work. Yeah, we may uh, we, we may be from a bygone era. Yeah. Oh, well, it was a good run while it lasted then. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right, sorry. Sorry for the interruption here on this email. Go, go ahead. But sure. So this person signed in Lynn. I hope that's okay. Lynn is doing 35-minute timed logic sections. Uh, um, <laughs> is, that, is that logic games? Uh, I think it's games, yeah, if you read on. I think it's games. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. What do you recommend when I do not complete the questions? From the podcast, I am practicing bubbling in the questions I don't answer. Good. After the 35 minutes, I like to review the ones I got wrong so they are fresh in my mind and I can have a better chance of figuring out where I went wrong. Mm, okay, I have a note about that. Okay. Uh, for the ones I did not have time to do, should I continue to do them without time, or should I start the 35-minute timer again and see how far I get? Mm -hmm. No, just do them. Just finish them. Yeah. As of now, I only get two games done, so hopefully I will get quicker. Yes, focus on just getting them right, and uh, you will get faster as you get better. Uh, so... She says, what do you recommend when I do not complete all the questions? You said you had something to say about that. Well, so, okay, I have two things to say. I think you already said it with the, um, the games that you don't get to or any questions that you don't get to during the 35 minutes. 
yeah, I don't, you don't need to restart a 35 minute timer. That's not necessary. Um, I just think you can go ahead and, and work your way through those games. Um, one thing to remember is that game three, game four do tend to be quite a bit more difficult than game one and game two. And if you're at the very beginning of your process, and if you're having a hard time with game one and game two, you sometimes might find that game three and game four are just like beyond your league. And so, you know, I don't want you banging your head against the wall trying to figure out like a really hard game three or game four. Um, if it makes no sense to you, maybe you might want to just kind of go back to basics and, and look at game one and game two, review those ones more thoroughly and not really worry so much about game three and game four yet. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you won't eventually be able to do that, but we have to walk before we can run. Yeah. One thing I, I just I, I wanted to flag because she's doing logic games. And she says, after the 35 minutes, I like to review the ones I got wrong. So they are fresh in my mind. This is logic games. How many are you missing? Because you really shouldn't be missing very many. Yeah, you should either know the answer or no, you don't know the answer. Right. It shouldn't be like, go to the answer key. Oh, yeah. You know, people love to, oh, I did two games. I didn't, you know, time is really a problem. I I ran out of time. I didn't get to do game three and game four. You know, I I randomly guessed on game three and game four. got a couple of those right. And uh, yeah, I got 10 points in the section. And Mm. it's like, well, wait, what? If you got a couple of your guesses right, then you're telling me you only got eight questions correct out of game one and game two, which means you missed questions in game one and game two. If you did two games, I would expect that you have at least 10 points just from that. Yeah. You know, you, you just, uh, the games are perfectly solvable and you have to make the commitment that you are going to perfectly solve them. You know, it, it's, it's a battle of will. You, you have to just figure that shit out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if, if you're reviewing games and you're like, oh, well, I missed one on game one and I missed a couple on game two, but you know, I did pretty good. I'd be like, no, that that's not really pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of shitty because you know, that indicates that you probably got lucky on a couple of the ones you got right, yeah. where you're just, well, this one will work. Sure. Yeah, that that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we're doing here. You, and you're, what you're doing there is you're going to, um, I think you're going to hamper your future progress on the test, or you're not going to improve as quickly as you would be able to if you slowed down and held yourself to a bit of a higher standard and just decided that you were going to figure it out and get them all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not conclusory, is it? I mean, is that circular reasoning? Uh, if it was, I missed it. Okay. I mean, I, I think people but. could accuse me of, oh, well, yeah, you're saying that the key to getting them all right is to get them all right. Oh. No, because I think what you're saying is that the key to getting them all right is forcing yourself to not let yourself <laughs> get, get them wrong. wrong. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's definitely logical. Moving on. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I think hopefully people follow. It's, you know, I guess what I'm saying to Lynn is on Logic Games, if you're missing a lot of questions, I think you need to slow down even more and just really give up on the idea of getting to game three or game four and instead just focus on, hey, when I turn the page from game one to game two, I'm going to know that I got all those questions right. Yeah. Like I'd rather her say... I only did one and a half games, 
but I got everything right. Absolutely. Like I, I got everything right in game one, and I just marched ahead, and I got the first question right in game two, and the first question, the next question I did in game two that I did, I got it right, and then the time ended. Yeah. If I look over your shoulder, and it took you 35 minutes, and you only completed seven or eight questions, but you got all seven or eight of those questions right, I am going to want to give you a high five. Yeah. You know, people don't believe that. People are like, what? No, there's so many questions. That's so slow. It's inexcusable. You know, I can't do that. Well, okay, but look at what you did. You know, you invested your time wisely. You got everything right that you attempted. You can't get everything right you attempted without really understanding what's going on. Sure. So the speed will come, uh, you know, over time. The speed, it's easy to get speed once you know what you're doing. Once you're accurate, it's easy to do it faster and faster. The hard part is, you know, people get speed first and then they never get accuracy. And it's, yeah. it's really hard to, to just magically get more accurate while keeping your speed up. So I would, I would much rather just look over your shoulder and see that you only did half the section, but you got them all right. Now, sometimes people who take a really long time to get all eight questions right that they do are testing every answer choice and that's why it's taking them so long right like the question asks them, right, if right. t is second which one find could be true and they're like, like go straight to a right that, yeah. that's a mistake so you might be doing things incorrectly but at the same time you are forcing yourself to walk through how the rules interact right you're saying well okay could this work no it couldn't work and although that's not the best way to take the test and you do need to change your technique I still think that that's more valuable than sort of quickly guessing at something and being like, oh, yeah, it seems like this would be right. You hear this, right? When people start the class and they're like, well, T probably goes in five. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, there's no probability. No. <laughs> Things in, in the games. Either it happens because it has to or it could happen but it doesn't have to yeah. or it doesn't happen. Yeah, no, that's a good, you know, general proposition is that you're we're only writing down things that we know for sure. Students love to just go, well, it'll work, yeah, it'll work if I put T fifth. Let me try that. And it's like, no, that's not what we're doing. If if T can only go in two places, you know, fourth or fifth, then yeah. I would permit you to make two diagrams, one where T goes fourth and one where T goes fifth. Yep. But I would never permit you to just write, oh, well, what if T what if T goes here? And just try to sort it out. That's not, that's never the game. That's not what we're doing. Yep. Um, back to that main point, you know, just to, just to kind of reiterate. Sure. If, if, if you are doing it inefficiently, but getting it right, Ben and I can show you faster ways, right? I mean, we're going to have four or five different ways to, to solve it. And so mm -hmm. we can see what you're doing and we can sort of guide you and say, hey, did you consider this other approach? But it's much easier to help someone who generally understands it, you know, who's forcing themselves to figure it out. That's, that's a student who's on the right track. Mm -hmm. And a student who persists in doing three games but missing half of them, that's a hard student to help. That's a lot harder to help. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Lynn, yeah. for writing it. This next one is from... Oh, I can't say who this is Oh, yeah, please don't use my name. Ooh, boy, got to put that higher in the email. Okay. Ooh, last sentence, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I included this one because uh, it is a question that we get occasionally, and 
I was confused by this email, as was um, was my wife. So I'll just uh, share it with you. It says, with great apologies, I'm contacting you with an urgent question that just occurred to me, unfortunately, minutes after the LSAC offices closed today. The question is this. Will I be denied entrance if I have a different or radically different hairstyle than the one in the picture I upload? This is not specifically addressed on the LSAC website. Thoughts on that, first of all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard of weird stories. I think it depends on who is checking you in. Yep. Um, this is going to be one of those things where it's like it's up to the administrative officer. There's discretion here. And so it's going to be a poorly trained LSAC employee who only works four days a year. And they are going to have instructions, which they may or may not have read. And they're, yeah, they're supposed to be, you know, checking to make sure it's really you. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, Ben and I would get rich by taking the LSAT for people. Isn't that how you make money? Mm, nope. I still haven't done it. Andy, cut that out. Sorry, please take that <laughs> off. Thanks. I still have my $10 million. It's $10 million. I'll do, I guess I can only do it once, and then I have to run away. So $10 Oh, you have a number. That's pretty good. People ask me for a number. I like my job too much, so it's, it went up from 10, $1 million to $10 million. That's what my career is worth. Okay. I, yeah, I think it just depends. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know if there's anything you can do about it. I think you just have to show up. I, you know, one, one advice I would, I would maybe bring supplementary documentation for the person who's checking you in. Sure. Like bring a couple extra photos of yourself, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, wh why not just, Oh yeah. Hey, I, I, I was worried that this might be a problem. Uh, you know, I'm really sorry. My hair kind of changes a lot. Uh, here's here's my driver's license. Here's the photo I uploaded for the LSAC website. But I also brought my passport, and I also brought the you know my school photo, my um, whatever my my blockbuster card. What you know, like uh, just so that you could sh at least if if something happens, you could be like, hey, here's here's a few different pictures of me, and hopefully now you'll believe me that this is me. Yeah, I I do think that's good advice. My I guess one of the reactions I had after reading this was. Why do you have to do your hairstyle radically different? Well, you know, some people have cancer. Or some people have wigs for various reasons. Um, hmm. Some people have super crazy hair that requires them to do it for three hours a day in the morning. Yeah, so the email continues, and this is where I... This is just something I'm not familiar with. This is good. Uh, it says, my hair requires planning ahead and is subject to my schedule and events, travel, etc. I had planned on getting a protective style later on this month after the photo upload deadline. I'm going to be significantly inconvenienced if I'm not able to do that. The morning after the LSAT, I'm, in, I'm leaving town for a month, so I cannot postpone. That's, that's a weird line. Wait, what? The morning after the LSAT, I'm leaving town for a month, so I can't postpone? What does that have to do with anything? Uh, I think she's saying she can't postpone getting the protective style. Oh. Okay. 
So I asked my wife what a protective hairstyle was, and she said, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know? I read that as I was getting getting a protective style, like I, I want to get a style that is that is consistent so that I don't have to worry about this issue of my hair looking different. Oh, like a style that's consistent with the photo? Like, or, or a, a just, yeah, a style that doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> I imagined it as a style that was locked in place. That would, that would, <laughs> that would protect itself. Like a hair from... helmet? <laughs> like a shit ton know. of hairspray? <laughs> Dude, uh, we're not qualified to answer this question. I yeah, I I really don't think we are qualified. We need to get we need we need. I never thought I would say this, but we really need a hairstyle a hairstylist. We're gonna need a hairstylist. We're gonna have to call in the big guns here to answer this question. I think. Yeah. So if you're in hair styling, please contact. Me. Yeah. If anybody has any idea what this protective style thing, we we need to sort this out. Hopefully somebody by episode 81, hopefully we'll be able to uh, provide some more information on protective style. I'm also hoping that Andy can maybe find some images of what protective styles might be and post those to the website. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, our bad. We, um, we, we don't know what the hell we're talking about on this one. I, 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 I'm going to go back to my original advice, which is, um, you know, don't worry about it too much, but maybe bring a couple extra photos of yourself just so that you can hopefully try to charm the uh, charm whoever it is that's checking you in. By the way, charm is going to go a long way. You know, when you walk in, I think you want to be smiling and you want to be kind of making it look obvious that you have your ducks in a row and and not um, be rude to these people or, you know, try to force your way in or anything like that. I don't think any of that's going to work. I think you need to just convince the proctor that it's fine and that you're this person. Yeah. Yeah, try to play it cool, be calm, and you're, it's more likely to work out. You know, act like you belong, and and usually you can kind of just waltz your way through life. That's what we do. <laughs> Seems to be working. This uh, person then provides this link. Well, this is an old this is an old post I wrote uh, from June 2013. It's called LSAT Test Center Restrictions Are Tighter Than TSA Passenger Requirements. Um, which is true. There, it, it is yeah, actually true. harder to get into the test center than it is to get onto an airplane. There are many things that you can bring on an airplane that you cannot bring to the LSAT test center. Um, you know, yeah. for example, gum, earplugs, cell phone, a uh, million other things that you, that you can't take with you into the LSAT. It is important that you go to the LSAT website and familiarize yourself with all those test day restrictions. The application of those test day restrictions, though, is going to vary pretty widely from test center to test center. So, you know, you just have to hope that you get a cool proctor and that it turns out to not be that big of a deal. Yeah. So although the restrictions are tighter than TSA passenger requirements, the training involved is about the same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although, um, you know, I, I have a feeling that these LSAC proctors are probably a little bit uh, nicer to deal with than a lot of the TSA agents seem to be. I mean, yeah. talk about bad customer service and just complete disdain for the customers. Uh, I can't believe how bad some of the some of the TSA agents are. Sorry if you know you're a TSA agent. I don't want to, <laughs> but you must know that a lot of your colleagues are dicks. 
And so, you know, I can't be telling you anything you don't know. Um, all right. You know the thing about the TSA that kills me? They don't hmm. even give you, while you're waiting in the long-ass TSA line that's super slow, Yeah, they don't even give you the information that might make the whole process for everybody faster. Wait, what are you talking about? They put it up on the computer screen. Many, I think it varies airport to airport. Okay. It changes, right? Sometimes you have to take off your jacket. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to take off your shoes. Sometimes you don't. Used to be you had to take your toiletries out of your carry-on bag. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to take your laptop out. Sometimes you don't. And people, especially people who don't fly regularly. I mean, I fly enough now that I feel like I'm a pro about the whole thing. But... People who don't fly regularly have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. And Mm -hmm. so then, you know, you get all of a sudden, you know, that micro, what is it? Millimeter wave thing. You know, the new fancy thing they have in the airport where you hold your hands above your head, that thing. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Is this the one you go into like a a microwave? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it closes around you. Yeah. And you hold your hands up like like above your head and and this this (laughs) thing with this like big bar thing like whips around you and it's like scanning yeah yeah it's doing some body scan kind of a thing yeah that thing will frequently set off if your pants were hanging too low or if you were wearing like a too baggy of a hoodie sweatshirt or something like that what yeah if your pants are too yeah low? because it's like well that you know it, it, it wasn't hanging it wasn't tight enough on your body so we didn't actually get to see because they they what this is the thing that people had were up in arms about years ago because it was like oh no they can see my junk you know or they can see the outline of my <laughs> junk it's like oh this is horrible <laughs> you know and <laughs> But that thing will set off for weird reasons. And Mm -hmm. I've seen it just a million times. I've seen that thing go off because somebody had a piece of paper in their pocket and there was no, there was never any warning about putting, about how this thing works. Hmm. And so now you've got 400 people standing in line and this guy is going to have to go back through, take the thing out of his pocket, go through the thing again. And we're going to have to all sit here and wait because the TSA didn't do a good enough job communicating to the people in line about what's expected of them. Sure, sure. It's like, dude, a little bit of information will go a long way here. Yeah. Whatever. I'm just yeah. going to get the TSA pre-check and I'm going to be skipping the whole thing. How much is that? I think it's like a hundred bucks or something. I mean, it's, I, it wow. seems like a no brainer. Yeah. 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 I got to get on that. It's on my to-do list. All right. Um, I guess we, we've only got like 15 more minutes here with you, Ben. So maybe we should move on to the next email. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. So this is Peter, right? Uh, yeah. Hope so. <laughs> hope that was okay. Yeah. So Peter says, love the podcast. Standard opener. Smiley. I thought my situation might be broadly applicable to other older applicants in a similar gray area in the decision-making process. Oh, okay. So this might be like the earlier person. Yeah, we did this on purpose. We put 30-year-olds at the front and the back. We structured it that way. Yeah. (laughs) By design. Yeah. I'm 33 years old. I have been in the classical music field. I think that the other guy was from music, too. Yeah. Not the first person, but someone else. Man, music is like... Is music is the music field dying? Is everybody like I don't know why you'd want to go from music to law? Oh my god, yeah. Peter, I'm sorry, it's nothing personal, but music sounds soothing and relaxing and intellectually stimulating. The law sounds never mind. Yeah, don't um, don't do it. I mean really, don't do it. Someone sent me a coffee mug the other day, Ben, one of my former students. She yeah. she had it made for me and everything. 
and it has my Fox LSAT logo on it, and then it has the tagline, wow. don't go to law school. That's what it says. <laughs> that's, that's what my former student from San Francisco thinks of me. And I would absolutely say that to Peter. Uh, why are you doing this? What are you doing? Stay in music. Yeah. So we should send him a coffee mug with a cleft note on it and don't go to law school. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So thanks for writing, Peter. Um, good. <laughs> Let's see. What else he said? He's been there for 15 years. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm in, in my 20s, even earned a PhD in classical piano, and now I'm considering a permanent career change to law. Uh, let's see. I was an average academic student, 3.5, but I did earn several awards in piano competitions. My PhD was better, 3.75. By the way, people say this all the time. They say their master's GPA or their PhD GPA was better. That's really unsurprising since most master's programs and PhD programs kind of inflate their grades Yeah. Uh, because everyone's there and committed and uh, wants to do well, so they just kind of give them all A's. Uh, so I wouldn't worry, I wouldn't rely on that too much. Sure, it's not a bad thing. But the other thing is that law schools don't look at that in their initial evaluation. So keep your focus on your undergraduate GPA for better or worse. Yeah, sorry to break it to you, but no matter how old you are, your GPA in your graduate program just really doesn't matter. It's not going to make it into their index calculation. They're going to compare everybody's undergraduate GPA in the index calculation. So that's all that matters. Yeah. It's only a soft factor after the fact. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you have a PhD is going to work in your favor, but that's actually more important than your grade point average in the PhD. Yeah. So Peter says, I took the December LSAT with an exploratory attitude. I did study pretty hard for the two months leading up to it, but it didn't take it overly seriously. I got a 164, RC minus 6, LR minus 9 total, games minus 5. So roughly the same in all three sections. Okay. My numbers feel good, but not great, and I have a feeling deep down that I am capable of substantially a substantially better score with a retake, as my prep for this trial test was broad, but not super deep. Okay. Okay. My goal is to go to school in the Philly area, which means Penn is my reach, blah, blah, blah. While Temple ranks around top 40, is relatively inexpensive and has a decent reputation for regional employment. What advice do you have? Um, should I try to parlay my 164 in academic record this cycle or shoot for a better LSAT in June or September while continuing to work and save money? Scholarship money is essential, either full ride to Temple or at least partial to help to Penn. Or I can't go. And I don't think my current numbers will get either of those things. Well, I think that kind of answers your question. Yeah, it seems like Peter's answering his own question here. If you think you can do significantly better on the LSAT, if you think you didn't prep as hard as you could have, and if you think there's still upside there, then there probably is. And I would be absolutely taking it again. I mean, that's just, that's for everybody. If you think you can get five points higher on the LSAT, I think you must take it again. I don't care what yeah. your goals are. <laughs> you know, I just think you'd be it'd be a big mistake not to. Sure. Uh, five points is dramatic. Yeah. I think people don't realize what percentage of applicants they're overtaking with five points. Yeah. I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands of people who are now scoring lower than you. So this cycle or next, is there a downside to putting applications out this time just to see with the backup plan of retakes? 
Yes. Um, recently, yes. Well, go ahead. The downside there is, I think, solely uh, that you might talk yourself into taking a shitty offer. I think the, I think the downside to that plan is that people don't have the fortitude to withdraw all their applications when they get bad offers. I, I, I agree with that completely. The other problem here too is if you apply, get accepted to a school like Penn that you want to go to, but don't get a scholarship, what are you going to do? Say no and then apply later? I mean, I think that's going to, they're going to say, hey, this is someone who we accepted and they rejected. I, I think that would affect... Well, okay. I mean, how they think of you in the future, or it could. I mean, it would be it would be messy. Mm-hmm. Theoretically possible, but I think it's like walking off the car dealership lot and coming back the next week. Yeah. I mean, if you do that too many times, they might think you're not serious. But remember, they're in the business of selling cars. Sure, I I agree with that, and I know we've talked about this before. But it you're you're trading sort of a a less chartered situation with one that's very clear-cut and that is applying with no background right with no not i applied before got accepted and decided not to come uh to just applying with a high score yeah i'd have to see somebody who 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 did this you know i mean hey if anybody's out there listening if you applied to a school got in decided you didn't like the offer then applied the next cycle with a higher lsat score and didn't get in I just, I'm shocked if that happens. Well, yeah, it seems like they'd get in. I think your offer is going to be at least as good. I think if they admitted you this year, they're very likely to admit you next year. If you're playing with a higher LSAT score, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to get admitted. So so either way, going back to your argument then, the big problem here is now you might accept this offer in which you might have gotten a better offer. Yeah. And you're wasting, I don't know, I, I just feel like it's kind of a waste of time. Yeah. You have to fill out all these forms. It's it's a pain in the butt. I'd rather just do it once. Yeah. Peter says, uh, I am recently divorced slash unattached in many ways, thus generally have plenty of freedom to decide. That makes me slightly worried that Peter might be doing this because he doesn't know what else to do with his life, which then might, if he applies this cycle, might be even more like provide even more incentive for him to make a bad decision here. Sure. Like it's like the next thing. Yeah. It's the next step in my life. I'm going to, you know, I got to have something going on here. I'm bored. I'm lonely. You know, I'm going to meet the love of my life in law school. So, you know, might as well just get going on that now. And, ah, well, I could have got to a better school or I could have got a better scholarship offer, but this is good enough. You know, I'm going to move forward. Mm -hmm. That if, if there's, if he has even a slight inkling that that might happen, you know, or if like his friends and family are going to be pressuring him, encouraging him to go to law school, friends and family give horrible law school advice. You know, mm. they, Oh, I can't stand it. It's the parents. worst. Yeah. Parents shut up. Friends, family, <laughs> shut up. I'm serious. If, if you didn't go to law school and, or you're not a practicing lawyer and, or you don't know exactly what, the kid is going to do with their legal career from exactly that school and exactly what job they're going to get, then just, just keep it to yourself because you don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to go even further because you're saying, you know, you, you exempted these people who are practicing law or went to law school. Sometimes I think they yeah. have even worse advice because they're so confident in what yeah. they're saying, but you're kind of like, dude, 
things are so much different than when you went to right. law school. And here you are telling this person that um, they should just go. It doesn't matter where you go. And uh, it might matter. Where you go to school is probably going to end up where you, you know, where you end up practicing. Uh, not everyone goes to a big law firm anymore. Right. Uh, things have changed. I don't know. It's just... Sometimes I, I hear things from old attorneys and I'm like, I, agree. I don't know what, I agree. Where, where they're coming from. Yeah, I was trying to make it a multi-factor test, but I didn't like really phrase it very well. I mean, I, yeah, I would say, yeah, just generally just everybody just shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, there's just so much awful law school advice. I mean, and I see people all the time getting pressured into it, you know, and, and everybody's mm. well-meaning, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a dick. It's like, yeah, your mom loves you. You know, but when she's telling you, oh, you know, boy, it's, I'm so excited. It's so exciting. It's such an exciting time. And wow, you're going to be a big, fancy lawyer. And oh, that's just so great. And your, your mom, even if she is a lawyer, probably doesn't know anything about the state of law school admissions these days and how bad the job market really is for brand new lawyers. And so I like it that Peter is saying, you know, he has to have a scholarship in order to go. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he's made that decision. One sure way to double down on that is to just not apply this cycle. Take the LSAT again, get a 168 or a 170 or something, and then apply broadly. Yeah. he He's restricting himself to the Philly area, which, you know, maybe he has reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But if he is recently divorced, unattached, and if scholarship money is so important, I mean, he might think about broadening that net a little bit too, right? For sure. Even if he doesn't go, like we said before, you can use that as leverage, right? Yeah. You don't get a scholarship to Penn, but you do to somewhere else that's comparable, and you say, hey, Penn, I'd really like to go to you, but it's hard to say no to this money. Yeah. And they say, okay, well, here's a little more money. Yeah, you don't have to tell Penn about your dad who's in the hospital, you know, in Philly, and that you're never going to leave his side. You don't, you don't have to tell them that. You could tell them yeah. instead. You could tell them, hey, look at this scholarship that I got to Michigan. You know, at, Michigan's a great school. You know, I'd, I'd love to go to Penn, but I just feel like I, I want to know if you can reconsider your scholarship offer. Mm-hmm. And they, they can always say no, but you just put yourself in such a better negotiating position if you can say that or if you have even if you just have it in your back pocket right even if you know that you have that scholarship offer it makes you a tougher negotiator sure so i guess we're telling peter one don't consider uh you know reconsider the music career yeah why law is it really necessary and if you do decide that it's necessary then yeah i mean we'd love to help as much as we possibly can but but if you think you can do better on the LSAT, you really should. What do you think the percentile difference is from a 164 to, say, a 169? So 164 is the 90th percentile, okay. and 169, I believe, is the 96th percentile. Okay. So that's a 6% jump. Yeah, 6 out of 100, but it's also 6 out of 100 at the top, right? It's 6 out of 100... Yeah. Of the best candidates, or six out, six of the best candidates there are, right? I guess to, to say it again, you're passing six out of the top ten out of a hundred, yeah. right? So, yeah. and those are the type of people who are going to get into Penn, or those are the type of people who are going to get a scholarship to Penn. Oh no, you've just put yourself you, you by having a one sixty four. You're in effect, you know, kind of looking up 
Whereas if you get a 169, now you're looking down. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. everyone is below you and you're the one who's getting the offers yeah. and the sweet nothings. Yeah. We accidentally hit exactly those numbers, but it was, I always remember that a couple of years ago, Berkeley's 25th percentile was 164 and Berkeley's mm. 75th percentile was 169. So yeah. yeah, that five point improvement moves you past half of the class at UC Berkeley. It, it, instead yeah. of you're instead of right on the edge of the bottom one fourth, you're now on the edge of the top one fourth, and mm-hmm. that makes a big big difference there for um, how much scholarship money you're likely to get and your chances of admission. All right, um, I guess maybe we should wrap it up there. Uh, anything, Ben, that you would like to promote to our listeners? Any um, resources maybe that are available on your website or anything you can do to help them? Several people reached out to me for the uh, the Logic uh, Games Demon that I mentioned last time, which is which is part of the the online course more generally and. That just continues to grow, so I'm excited. Um, I'm working with Seth, as you as you know from the podcast before, and a couple other people to keep developing that. And so some of the things that we're doing to uh, make the online experience more interactive is is fun. It's kind of a it's kind of a process. I don't think it's ever going to end. If anyone's interested in taking an online class. I'm excited by what we have going and uh, where it's going. Yeah, same here. My online class, um, I continue to add new videos to it, uh, new lessons to it. And my intention is that I'll always be updating that. Also, people ask questions and I respond. Uh, So that sort of grows the class too, because all those Q&As get added to the class. If anybody wants to check out my online class, you can find it on my website. But you could also just shoot me an email Nathan at foxlsat.com or uh, shoot me a text message, even 415-518-0630 and uh, just get in touch and I will be happy to add you to the free portion of my online class if you'd like to check it out. Sorry for being cheesy about advertising our shit, but uh, we hear quite regularly that people don't even understand that we have those things. So we're trying to work in a few uh, commercials. Cool. All right. I think that's it. Anything else you want to add today, Ben? No, that's all. Awesome. Okay. Um, we'll be back on a more regular schedule for uh, January and February, I anticipate. So uh, sorry for the holiday delay. And uh, we're off with a bang in 2017. Amen. <laughs> it's only appropriate that we end with amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs>